Okay. And we have to Okay. So, tonight we are discussing honoring one's parents where no direct benefit is received. It's a very interesting topic. In effect, we discussed how to honor one's parents in terms of your, the, the parent needs a jacket. You bring it to them. We discussed who pays for the jacket, who's going to pay for it, and bigger expenses, long-term health care, or they want a coffee. But then there is the classic, I, I would say the classic case, where we've probably all been there, where your mother says to you, put on a sweater. And you say, I'm not cold. And she says, but it's cold outside. So put on the sweater because I am cold. I think that's the definition of a sweater, something you wear when your mother's cold. What, effect, effectively, what we're saying is, is there a concept of honor one's parents, and the parent's not really benefiting, but the parent desires you to do something. So I gave a rather innocuous case. Obviously, in most cases, the parent will get over it. But these questions, you start finding, they range. I'll give you a case that was asked to the Maharik, and we'll go to more in depth. And this is a question that definitely come up even all the time. Uh, a man meets a nice young woman. He wants to get married. He brings her home to meet her parents, his parents, and the parents say no. Well, what do we have here? Here's a case where the, are the parents going to have any harm or benefit? No, it's the kid's life. The kid maybe will move to Israel for all you know, live far, far away. So what we have here is the parents are saying, do something for me, even though I'm not really the one benefiting. Yes, there are some ancillary benefits, but like at the end of the day, it's not really the parents. I think what we're trying to get for is, like, do you really have to listen to your parents for everything they say? Like, what's the limit to that? How far do we take that? If they say, I want you to start wearing only pink shirts. Well, you don't see me. You don't know why. You, you, would, you won't even know if I'm wearing a pink shirt. It's only if you ask. Is that, is that considered honoring one's parents or not? So that's the question. And I think it's a, again, I'm giving more extreme examples, but obviously we can hear where it can really be relevant. I mean, I gave the case in the Maharik where you have a spouse, you know, the parents protest a spouse. And obviously there it gets more complicated because even if whoever we're going to ultimately decide the halacha, there's the emotional component. But then there's also just, I think, more regular cases, the case of the sweater. And then you have, you can think of everything from there far in between for that. Right? Good question, Charles? Yeah, I think the, the, the deeper question is, well, the more involved question is where the parent says, he's not for you or she's not for you. Well, for sure, that's where you can, and you can also hear that coming up. But, but you, can imagine, you can imagine... It's not just honoring the parents. So I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you a, a truth I saw come up. There is... We're not doctors in this room. Doctors take a lot of pride, apparently, in their kids becoming doctors. So what kid decides he's going to go to medical school. This is the truth I saw growing up. I, I don't remember. I recall who said it. Kid decides he's going to medical school, just like his daddy. So he goes to prereqs, goes to medical school, all is good and well. Comes time to specialize, and he says, I'm becoming a cardiologist. And the father says, a cardiologist? <laughs> How can you just become a cardiologist? You have to become an oncologist. He's like, but I want to be a cardiologist. He's like, Keyboard of aim, you gotta listen to me. At which point the kid basically says, I am becoming something, this is, I'm gonna listen to you, but there's no direct benefit to you whether I become a cardiologist or an oncologist or a radiologist or whatever it may be. So the, I think you're starting to see again, this also can we talk about appropriate boundaries, but I'm gonna leave the, that, that discussion on appropriate boundaries and uh, the case where it skews more towards lesser boundaries, but more, you could just see where this can come up. A parent says, if this is probably, maybe you've had it, I wanna say Shana Beck. Shanaleth. There may be a discussion, assuming there's not a monetary component, about I want to choose this yeshiva over that yeshiva. Again, even then, one can make an argument. We learn better in one yeshiva over another. But you, and you, you start seeing there are a lot of times where parents 
will want to give guidance because they feel like they perhaps rightfully have a more mature and a wider, broader worldview. And ultimately, though, it's the kid's life and the kid could say, but you're not really benefiting. So I want to make my own choice. Does keyword of aim apply in that case? How far are we willing to say um, keyword of aim? How much does one go to say there's keyword of aim when the parents are not actually benefiting? So that's the question. I think it's a rather compelling question. It's an interesting question. What we're trying to do is test the limits to keyword of aim. And what we're going to see now over the course of this year is there are going to be two approaches, which I'm going to actually anchor in the Gemara that's brought down here in the booklet. So if you, if you saw the book, but I'm going to start with a different part, a previous part of the book, and we're going to see as well that within the two approaches, it's going to play out with a lot of the things we've seen previously about Kibud and Mora, fearing and honoring, etc. And even if we don't necessarily come to Halacha Lamaisa, I'll leave that probably more to you to look in the book where there's a very good summary at the end. We all have the book on page, uh, I think it's 40 by the Urbanus and Corellus in the Chutzani. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah? This presumes or is equating, even just the concept of the question is equating Hebrew with listening to. So let's, 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 let's put, put a pause on that for right now. We'll put a pause on that for right now. Or we're, you'll see why in a second. So the starting point for this is a Gemara. And again, I think part of what we're trying to do with this year, and which is also why I brought pins in an actual Gemara today, even though not all of us or even, you know, it's, it's harder to read the actual Gemara, but we're trying to get a, a broad overview of not only the particular subject, but also see how it evolves from a source, the primary sources, all the way down through the modern-day posting, which is what Sorva does very well. You see the red is the Gemara, and the, and the blue is the Rishonim a little later, and you can kind of trace that down when you look at the booklet. So what do you do? The Gemara doesn't say that anywhere explicitly this, this has this case. The Gemara doesn't say it explicitly, but as we know, the Gemara is case law. So what do you do with your case law? Well, you try to find a case and try to find a, a similarity. So the Gemara, of all places, is not found in, in Kedushin, where we've been discussing the laws of Kibbutz of Aim, but it's found in Gemara Nevamos, although you'll notice, if you saw the Gemara already, or maybe you'll notice, you'll remember, we, we alluded to this Gemara in our opening share. The Gemara is discussing a totally different topic, which is why I love when this happens. The Gemara is discussing one topic, and you pull out a uh, a kernel and, and it opens up a whole new world. The concept of asay docha los asay. That was in our opening shir. What's an asay docha los asay? A positive command overriding a negative command. For instance, you're not allowed to wear shotness, wool and linen uh, together. By the way, I was when I was in Chicago, I went to men's warehouse and I was trying on different jackets. I tried on this one and I tried on another one. And I said, I don't, want, I don't know which one to get. So the guy, being a good salesman, said to me, buy both of them you can always return it after two or three days because he knew that I would probably never return it. I take it home, great, and I say, well, I wonder what it's made out of. Not this one, the other one. 50% wool, 50% linen. I kid you not. Literally, shotness. So I brought it right back. He's pressing, why would he bring it back? Anyway, shotness. Things, there are some things you have to look, you have to bring it to Rabbi Hess to check for shotness, and some things literally wool and linen together. So we know you're not allowed to wear wool and linen together. However, you're allowed to wear tzitzis. We don't practice this nowadays. We're not going to get into why. One is allowed to wear tzitzis of wool and linen. As they can wear a linen, uh, a linen shirt with, string, with wool and tzitzis strings. Why? The positive command to wear tzitzis overrides the negative command to wear, to wear uh, shotness, to wear wool and linen mixed together. This is a rule that applies throughout the Torah, throughout the Gemara. It's, it's a rule we know. Right? You've heard of it before, Charles? Erica? Heard of this? 
However, how do we know this is a rule? Where do we, what, what's the source that this is true? Why, why would we think this is true? Perhaps it shouldn't be true. The Torah says don't do something. Why would you think a positive thing, a command can override it? So, the source for it, although we discussed some logic behind it, but the source for it actually is the Gemara in Yavamos. And the Gemara, we're not, I don't, again, we're not going to even get into the Gemara's going back and forth trying to figure out, throwing this case and that case and this logic and that logic to try to figure out, tease out, is this really true? Is I say really dochalosa say? And then the Gemara says as follows. This is found on page Vav Davav Omid Aleph. So if you look in the, I, I highlighted in blue the way the Gemara look, looks. Gemara's in the middle. Rashi's on one side. Tosfos is on the other. That's the way the Gemara is. How that came to be, a longer discussion. But let's just say that one of the main formulators of the way in which our daf looks, the way the page looks, was a man by the name of Daniel Bomberg who was not Jewish. He was a Christian Hebraist who had a printing press. And he actually made a lot of decisions about how our daf looks, which is why it was a little uh, interesting when the Steinjolf Gemara came out, first came out, it wasn't what we call Surah Sadaf. It didn't look like the classic page where the Gemara in the middle, Rashi on one side, Tosus on the other. You know, it's article. They have this, and on the opposing page, they put their commentary. Why? They wanted to maintain the misor, or the tradition of the Surah Sadaf, of the way the page has always been. Well, Steinjolf didn't do that at first, and one of the big Arabim in Israel, who again was one of the great, great, great Rabbanim, one of his claims was, how can you mess with something that's been around for so long, it has holiness, it has Kedusha, and I thought it was a little funny, it's like, it came from Daniel Bomberg, Christian Hebraist, running around the middle, you know, in the, in the 1600s. Okay, so in this Gemara, Gemara says as follows, Yonchel Omer Lo Oviv Hitimo Osh Omer Lo Al Tafsa Yochel Yishmalo, you might think as follows. Ready? You might think, how, I have a proof that an ase, again, a positive command overrides a negative command. What's my proof? Because if your father, if a father says to a Kohen, go become impure. If a father says to a Kohen, don't return a lost object, you might think you should listen to him. You might think you should listen to him, meaning to say the Gemara is you should think you should listen to him, as in the positive command of honoring one's parents, listening to one's parents, overrides the negative command of not returning a lost object or of becoming of a Kohen becoming impure. Talmud Lomar says the Pasik Ish Imov Abavtirao Kulchim Chayov Mikvodi. So says the verse and, and the the revision from the verse that yeah, you have to honor your parents, but your parents have to also honor me. So if you're honoring your parents, your parents are honoring me. So I, as in God, saying I override your parents. And again, this will be the subject of a later unit. But basically, we listen to our parents until it comes in the conflict with God's word. And if your parent says, don't transgress something. Go, father says, go cook for me on Shabbos. We say, sorry. Yes, I have to honor you, but not at the expense of, honor, of, of, of not listening to God. So then the Gemara says, um, oh, so the, so, but this is actually a question. I, I phrased it wrong. This is a question. What the Gemara is saying is as follows. If you think about it for a moment, right, you're ready for some Talmudic logic here? Why do you need a special verse to tell me that, a, that you're exempt from listening to one's father if he tells you to do a, uh, a negative, to transgress a, a negative command? Why would you need that? Why would you need a, a, the Pasuk to explicitly tell you, don't listen to your parent if they tell you to, over, to, over, to go against the Torah? What, it must be the only reason why you need a Pasuk, because otherwise you would say, Ase docha say. 
Otherwise, you would say the positive command of listening to your father overrides the negative command. So what the Gemara is saying is the assumption of the fact we need a... Not osing a mitzvah. It's 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 osing. That's asking the cholos to take here. Well, I mean, again, but because of that principle, like you can you can extrapolate from one to the other. So this is coming to say no. It's almost contradictory. Right. But listen, to it, listen up. The Gemara is saying the assumption. Uh, well, the, the the fact that we needed a special verse to tell us, a special verse to tell us that don't listen to your father in a scenario, or don't listen to your mother in a situation where they tell you to transgress the Torah must mean that had we not had the Pasuk, we would listen to them. I.e., the positive command overrides the negative command. That's, what the, that, that's the logic of the Gemara. You follow? Follow? Yes. Okay. And then the Gemara says, and this is a line we've heard before, no, 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 not true. No, Kibbut of Aim actually is totally different. We never would have thought that. Why? Because Kiwit of Aim is a Heksher Mitzvah. It's a preparatory Mitzvah, which we discussed at length in our opening shir. What does it mean it's a preparatory Mitzvah? So the Rashford says here, and I think it might be in the sources over here, because if you think about it for a moment, where is the conflict with the Torah when your father says, in the case of the Gemara, go cook for me on Shabbos? What's the conflict? That, that you're going to go cook. But when is the actual honor one parent happening? Not when you're cooking, but when then you bring them the cooked food, when you bring them the dish. So we're, 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 if you look at, on, on the timeline, the actual action that puts you in violation of the Torah happens prior to the action of honoring one's parent. Because honoring one's parent is when you come to serve them, versus when you're in violation of God's command, that happens at an earlier stage in the game. Which is why what he's saying is Kibbut of Aim is a Heksha Mitzvah, meaning the actions one does for Kibbut of Aim, which could come in conflict with the Torah, that's usually preparatory. And that's the way most of the Rishonim learn it. Good? This is the Gemara. So, in summary, why did I choose this out? Again, I asked a, very, a question. What are the limits to Kibbut of Aim? What point do you have to listen to your parents? And I brought up a Gemara here about Asi Docholosa say, clearly it, there, we, had, we thought there would be a command to listen to one's parents. Actually, we thought the command to listen to one's parents would have arrived as I say, Tom and Lomar, it doesn't. Why am I doing all this? What's going on here? So this is where it gets exciting. Comes along Rashi. And, if you, and how are we doing time here? Okay, comes along Rashi, and Rashi says as follows. What is the exact case of one's parent, in the case, again, the Gemara uses the mask of the father, but of one's father telling you to violate the Torah... Rashi says, you are, this is the one, Rashi is always the inner column, Tosh is the outer column. So Rashi says, you, um, your father says, go into the Beis Akfaros, go into a cemetery. Or he says to you, don't return an object. You would think you have to listen to him. So the Rashi tells us, that if your father says, don't return a lost object, you don't have to listen to them. You don't have to listen to them. Why? Because the Gemara tells us we listen to God over the Torah. Excuse me, over our parent. Comes to the Ritva, and he makes an amazing diak. He says, one minute, if you read very carefully, the word in Rashi is not, don't return the Aveda for me. It's just very generic, don't return an Aveda. 
don't return a lost object. Not my lost object, a lost object. Ripa says, and again, it's, it's the Mosada of Cook, which is the, uh, the uh, if you look up there on the shelf, there's, there's tan volumes, so they have a, a lengthy footnote on this. But he says, if you, the Ritva says, if you look at Rashi carefully, Rashi seems to think that when the father is telling the son, violate the Isra of becoming, of becoming impure, or be in violation of the Isra, of the, of, the, of the negative command of not returning, the father, not, it's not about the father. He's just saying to the kid, I want you to become tummy. Not for me. Not for me. But he said, I want you to become tummy. I want you to walk into cemetery. That, that's what Rashi, that's, that's Rashi learns. The father says, I want you to walk into cemetery. You might think you have to. Comes along the pasuk to tell us, no, you don't have to listen to your father. That's what Rashi is saying. Why, why is the father telling you to become tummy? Because he's in the mood. He wants you to become tummy. In contrast to the Ritva, the Ritva says, what's going on here? That would never, ever be a case of keyword of aim, even if it wasn't a case of becoming Tameh. Says the Ritzvah, and this is why, now you see why I, I use this case. Says the Ritzvah, She'ein osa kavod el v'osa davar l'hanoso kadam rahasam. He goes, this isn't a case of keyword of aim. What benefit is the father having if, if you become Tameh, if you become impure? He goes, you know what the case of the Gemara is when he, the father says become impure? When the father, let's say, has a lost object, his wallet is sitting in the middle of a cemetery. So he says to his son, I want you to become impure by walking into the cemetery and retrieving my wallet. So it's a benefit for the father. But by doing so, by the son listening to the father, he's now in violation of the precept of becoming impure. Again, the son's a Kohen. That's the case of the Gemara. But the way Rashi says it generically, just go become tummy, go become impure. Don't return that random lost object. There's no benefit at all to the father. And says the Ritva, that would never be a case of kibbutz of aim. That's not that's can't what the Gemara is talking about. We wouldn't use that case to be the test case or the case we want to discuss. Is there an say do chaloza say? That's not kibbutz of aim. Kibbutz of aim says the Ritva is only when the parent benefits. And now he says so. Therefore, when the Gemara wants to know, when the Gemara wants to know. Our case is Ase do say. Well, let's go through the case again. Says the Gemara. You might think if the father said become impure for me because I need a lost object. And the only way to get the lost object is to pass through that cemetery. Or don't return that lost item because I'm benefiting from it now. You might think if you listen to me, comes along the verse and says, no, don't listen to the father, you listen to God. At which point we say, we see from here, otherwise you would have said Ase do say. Tama, um, and, there, and the Gemara says no because usually it's just Hechshah Mitzvah the fact that you become Tameh is just a preparatory act to the Mitzvah so we see now here is this Gemara emerges as Big Machlokas and now I'll, I'll say it outside Rashi seems to understand this Gemara that if a father says become impure it's just because the father wants you to become impure at which point the Gemara said the Torah tells us you don't have to listen to your father because you listen to God over your father Ritva says and that, that's not just Ritva, the Rashi, many of the other Rishonim, that's not the case at all. If your father says, become impure because I want you to, you say, I don't got to listen to you. You're not benefiting. Like, why, I don't, like, that's not even the case of keep it of aim. That's just the case of a father being annoying, obnoxious. Give me a second here. The case of the Gemara would be, when the father says, do something in violation of the Torah, it's only, it's do something in violation of the Torah because I'm going to benefit. Cook on Chavez for me. Go into a cemetery for me. Do some sort of other, uh, other violation that's going to benefit me. And then we can talk, this, have a, uh, to start a discussion, well, does Kibbutz of Aim overrule the Torah or not? Which ultimately say, no, Kibbutz of Aim does not overrule the Torah because ultimately, just as you have to honor your parents, 
But you and your parents have to honor God as well. Yes, you had a question. Um, so, how are we defining benefit? Is that monetary? Is that physical? So, uh, let's, 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 take, let's, let's go on a little further. I'll tell you why. Because what, what emerges here, let's do it that way, is we have, we have, two, we have two, two sides here. Rashi seems to understand that if your parents do something, even if, they're not, even if they're not benefiting, assuming there's no violation, no issue involved, you have to listen. So, um, Ritzva, Rashi is saying, no, if your parent isn't benefiting, so then you don't have to listen. You can say, I'm sorry, Mom, Dad, that, I don't want to wear a pink shirt every day just because you want me to. I don't want to put on that sweater. I don't want to do so. Two sides. And the question I'm going to ask before I'm going to get to Erica's question is, which one do you think makes more sense? What makes more sense? So I'll tell you what. Let's look at the Rashba together. It says the Rashba. It's found in the book, in the book on page 41. He says, how have we described keeping up aim the entire time? Let's read how, we describe, how the Gemara describes it. The Gemara says... Again, the Rashi is also commenting here. She'ain ikr kavod el mashiach lo bohanna. Kavod, honoring, is only when there is benefit. As the Gemara in Kedushan tells us, Ezeh kavod, what is kavod? Ready? Machlo, you feed him. Mashko, you give him to drink. Malvusha, you dress him. Unalo, you put on their shoes. Avalim omer lo lasa, darvish ain lo bohanna, shal klum, but they tell you, do something with no benefit whatsoever. Ain zeh. That's not a command. Meaning, we've been saying the whole time, we've been defining kavod. Kavod, even the Rambam, the way a servant with a master, you, you do physical actions towards them, you give them food, you give them drink, you cook for them, you clothe them. But where have we seen there, you listen to them when it's not giving them any benefit? And says the Rashba, therefore, that this is not part of the command. And then he says, kavod kazeh, as in honor one's parent by listening to them when they are not benefiting, that's not a positive command in the Torah. We, we put override a standard negative command. Just a quick, uh, a quick uh, point. This line of it's not a command in the Torah is one of the most contentious lines in this entire discussion. Because how do you read that? It's not a command in the Torah. What, what could that mean? It's not a command. Maybe it's the Rabbanon. Maybe it's uh, a suggestion. The, the Mosad of Cook in the footnotes, I think they had five different suggestions on how to read this one line. It's a cryptic line, which brother the Rashba is known for that. He has these cryptic lines. But what the Rashba is saying to us, and I think what seems to be, in, uh, makes sense based on what we learned so far, is if Kiba is about serving your parents and giving them their needs, so this is not a need here just listen and pay heed to what they want when they're not benefiting. Perhaps, they, and we, I gave a case, they might not even know. They, they're not going to know your daughter-in-law. Who knows? Like, they know they, she lives so far away. And therefore, and therefore, the Rashba, the Ritva, the opinion that it's not considered covered, whereas Rashi says it is. Now, to get back to your point, Eric, I was going to discuss a little more, but I want to move on. It could be that Rashi, and I'm only saying this, I'm not gonna, I don't want to dwell on it, but Rashi might understand that Keep it up, Amos. There's a listening aspect that more than just serving, whereas the other Shonim think serving is a bigger aspect. But again, I don't want to. No, but I'm also thinking of like when you teach children, keep it up, Amos, don't sit in your parents' chair and stand when they come in the room and all of those things. 
none of those have to do with any material, physical benefit that these come. And when you talk about honor in general, none of that, or that's usually not associated with physical. No, but that's, that's directly benefiting the parent because you're giving them a certain covered, as in, there's a seat, and suddenly, I'll tell you, whenever we have a guest, when I was growing up, we'd have a guest that come to our house, and it usually happened when someone came during the week, probably someone collected money, and they'd sit in my father's seat. It's a little jarring. Like, what do you do? That's my father's seat. There's a certain, like, a couple. There's a respect there. That's clear and evident. If it's never, if, let's say, the, let's say you're, I don't know, one's father says, I want a room in the house, and a bed always made for me. Are you going to come? No, but I want it there. Like, they're not, they're, there's, there's no benefit for that. That's not, is, is that couple? Like I, it's not clear. It's not verse. That's, that's what's happening here. So here, okay, fine. So let's, I want, what I want to do now is, but I, I think what's bothering you, we're actually going to address in a second. The Maharik, the Shut Maharik um, says as follows. So he was asked this question. It's actually a very interesting question. Strange question. Okay. There was a son who wanted us to keep his father around because they didn't want his father to retire and move to Florida. So he took some sort of public shvua. So he swore and said, I am not going to marry anyone unless my father approves. Okay, Dad, you've got to stick around because you have to prove the girl. Now, he had no intention of keeping this. He just wanted to keep his father around. And he then went, and it seems like he, he was Shoel. He went in front of a bunch of people and said, I didn't mean to, and kind of did a Hatar Sadarm like we do in our, on our Hashanah, but in a more serious way. Fine. This didn't sit well with the father. When he comes home with the girl, the father's like, well, minute, didn't we have an agreement here? And I don't approve of this girl. So he writes to the Maharik, and Maharik gives three reasons why, why the boy is correct, why the, why the son is correct. Number one, he says, number one, he says, is what we discussed last week. Keyword of aim is Michel Av ou Michel Ben. Does it come from the father's expense or the mother or the son's expense? He says, what, we, we, we decided, and we discussed last week, it comes out of the father's account. He says, yes, what greater way, what greater account, if you will, is there than your life and who you marry? So if the father can dictate who you marry, what you're saying is it's coming out of the son's account. So it was when he says that once we decide it's Michel Av, it only comes out of the father's account, so then the father loses the right to dictate who you're going to marry, which you're going to be living with her. It's your happiness. It's your life. He can't decide that. That's reason number one. Reason number two, he says that ultimately getting married is a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to get married. And therefore, the father can't dictate a mitzvah, as we just discussed in the, the previously. Probably can't tell you to do or not do a mitzvah. Not involved. That's the, okay, I think it would be a little shaky. I saw there was a little bit of discussion. So what about, is it a girl? What about a woman who, who the father says, I don't want a, a woman to marry a certain man? Well, does a woman have an obligation to get married? Not, might not be a mitzvah. A lot of discussion that, although post can seem to think as well... The Merik would apply there as well. But lastly, lastly, the Merik says, you know why the father can't dictate to the son who to marry? Because the father's not getting any benefit from it. He's not getting any benefit from it. Our, it's our case. Not getting any benefit from it, and therefore he can't decide. Just a, a note, uh, Rabbi Feldman, actually interesting, interesting Rabbi Feldman, in his safer on Kibbut of Aim, so he actually put a whole, not just a note, a whole, gave a whole page and a half of this. Eitz Tova, he says. I think it makes sense. Every rabbi knows this. Everyone knows this. If parents object to a shidduch, you have to, A, realize sometimes parents see things kids don't see, but also it can create a real contentious situation. And there, you have to have a, a rosh gadol, as they say, going into that. Yes? So what if there was some benefit saying, I want you to marry this girl because then her father will do business. So it's interesting. Let's discuss. What if they're going to bring great prestige to the family name? 
that, that I saw someone discuss that. I didn't have a chance to read that chuva. What if it's been great? We you know marry that family. Sometimes you see like these families that get married, or in your case, and it's less about two people get married, and more you call it a merger and acquisition, like these two big family names. Yeah, so I someone discussed that. I, I, I don't. I, I didn't have a chance to read it, so I don't know what they're gonna say. Um, I think always you. Could, yeah. But what about taking a step back from the benefit, non-benefit evaluation and saying, well, I value my father's opinion because he brought me into this world. He brought me up, he has a good sense of values. He sees things better than I do. He's more mature. Taking a different tack. Maybe my attraction is physical only. I don't, I'm not realizing it. Maybe he's. I think that's where that's where, that's exactly where the uh, the. Why isn't that honoring the father to say he knows he knows better than I do? Okay, so I actually I think I, I think I think there's a, a lot of the ideas being thrown around here. We're going to come back to in a minute. But I think you're 100% you're 100% right on both ends, both on the end of keep it up aim, but also in general in this topic, people tend to uh, you need uh, kids are kids, and sometimes they don't see the, they don't see what the parents can see. You know, it's interesting. There's a whole discussion recently about about you know take the Hasidim for instance, the way they date. I'm not advocating it, but it's the parents really who do all the research. So there's a whole discussion recently. So I I said to someone who was doing a lot of research to this about a year ago there was an uh, article in the Wall Street Journal about this topic, not about Hasidim, just about marriage and and marriage bef uh, and people living together prior to marriage and post and that people only living together, only living together want to get married. And a woman wrote a letter to the Wall Street Journal. She said she's a, she lived with her husband for 40 years in arranged marriage. She, both of them have PhDs, I believe, from Stanford, both from India. And what she said was as follows: Obviously, this doesn't work for everyone. But if you trust your parents for every other major decision in your life, and you have health, after you have parents who are healthy and they're a healthy place, so why would you not also trust them in this situation as well? Which I think, again, I'm not saying that's an extreme, but there's a kernel, or not kernel, there's a, there's a lot of truth to that in the sense of like, you're going to ask them, you're talking about career, and you're talking about so many other things. So like, right, am I, am I capturing a little bit of what you're trying to say? Yeah. Well, so that's a nice idea, but halakhically saying what that says, okay, you should marry or not marry this person, and because I'll get the million dollar deal, but, and if that only would had your best interest in mind, and not the million dollar deal, fine. But now they have a million dollar deal in mind, and is that you are in your best interest anymore? Now are you still holistically obligated? But again, it's not it's not best interest what the parents want. But again, I, I also I, I didn't look I didn't read the I didn't read the chuva, but some, some, I, I'm inclined to say, and maybe I'm, I'm wrong, that uh, a, a business deal, even if it's a million dollars, does not op uh, outweigh happiness, fulfillment, and meaning that comes from the that directly the son is benefiting from. Yes, the father's making money, but ultimately, like, so again, I, I didn't read it, so I don't want to, I don't want to speak for it. So the halakha question is not, should you take the father's advice in mind, but the halakha question is, at what point am I chayiv to listen to my father no matter what? And what point can I say, oh, no, you don't have my best interest in mind, and therefore I don't So then, I, I, I wonder if we're veering a little bit into, again, the discussion that we, I think it's kind of, in a way, because it's this parent-child relationship, so it is a cloud over it, and I call it a cloud of 
the unhealthy relationship and how to handle that and how to navigate that and that has its own set of parameters and rules. But then all of this revolves around that and that keyboard of so, is, so let, 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 I wanna, in theory, in this ideal bubble, of course you're going to do what's best for your parents because they're these amazing, wonderful people who've done what's best so, for you. But there's a, there's a balance. There's a balance. Let's just put everyone has... Everyone has the things that they're, they're in agreement with, things they're not in agreement with. There's, there's always a little tension, and sometimes that little tension, you say, you know what, it's there, but ultimately they're parents. The mission of Kibbutz Aim overrides it. And as we'll see, at the end of the unit, there's sometimes the tension. Like, no, we push Kibbutz Aim aside because it's too great. So I don't want to, again, I think it's, if you see, the, this is such an emotional, I mean, it's, there's so much subjectivity, right? The Rav pointed out, I, think, I don't know if I quoted this, the Rav said what's amazing with Kibbutz Aim is it takes otherwise mundane actions and, and rises and, up, and uplifts them and rises them to a level of a mitzvah, right? Pouring water, nothing. Pouring water for your father, suddenly it's a, it's a huge mitzvah because you're connecting to the Shekhinah. So there's this amazing aspect to it, but there's a certain subjectivity to it, which also lends itself, therefore, towards, you know, the area of when they're more painful and there's the tensions, etc. Okay. I want to get to that. I want to get to that. So what we have here is as follows. We have Rashi seems to say, listen to the parents, even if there's no benefit, Ritva says, the Ritva says not to. We have Saad Ma'arik who had our case. You don't have to, son, you don't, the son does not have to listen to the father. The Ramah in Shulchanar quotes this Ma'arik. The question that some of the Achronim, some of the commentators want to, want to know is, was he quoting the Ma'arik saying because of reason number three or because of all three reasons? Meaning was reason number three compelling enough in and of itself or it was a mitzvah and it's Mishal Ben and the parents have no benefit. So because of all that, that's why he's quoting it. So but again, that's beyond... That's beyond all that. Okay, so. I'm sure, where do we want to go from here? What's, what's the logic behind Rashi? Again, I think the logic behind the other Rishonim, as Ritva and Rashva, I think is a, that's kind of what we've been saying is a definition of Gibbut. You do physical things, you, there's a classic covet is you, even don't sit in their seat, you stand up and they walk in the room. You feed them, you clothe them, etc. Well, Rashi, like, listens to them even though they have no benefit. I put on a sweater because my mom's cold. Really? Or you take... So what's, what's the svar behind it? So I think this is going to start bringing together a lot of the ideas that we're kind of thinking. Hopefully this can articulate them well. Rabbi Kiva Eger, in, Rabbi Kiva Eger in his Chuvos says as follows. You know how it benefits your parents even though seemingly there's no actual benefit? Because when you listen to your parents, it makes them happy. They see, perhaps, that you're heeding their advice. That you recognize that maybe you're not the smartest person in the room just because you're young. You know, and therefore that brings them a certain, um, that brings them a certain amount of nachas ruach. They're not hurt, right? Oftentimes, that's what happens when kids go out on their own. There's a certain pain that can be there. And when the, the, kid, the parents see, oh, the kids, there's a difference between a kid going on their own and severing ties versus making their own life. And then the parents start realizing, oh... Though the, the decisions they're making, it's not that they're separate and different, but rather taking the values that we taught them and raised them with, and they're using those same values to then move on in life, which is not painful, but that's actually beautiful. That's where Nafas comes in. So when the parents see that, oh, I asked them to do something, even though it didn't benefit me, and they listen, there's a certain pleasure to that. It's a psychological and emotional benefit. So perhaps what Rashi is saying is we have to be a little more expansive when we think of Kavod, not just honor, but also the emotional and the psychological well-being of our parents as well. It's very nice. In fact, what Kiva Eger says, perhaps one would think that if that's true, 
you can make an argument that once a parent passes away, if they ask to do something that didn't benefit them, maybe you wouldn't have to necessarily do it. Although he says we still find that the concept of saying, you know, uh, Allah shalom, you know, zitzal, a blessed memory, that also is a discussion which will come up later, but that also is part of the key, but after a parent passes away, what's going on there? So again, it, it, it brings a certain nachas ruach, uh, a benefit to the parent as well. So what, what Rabbi Kiva Eger is saying is, Rashi seems to come in almost out of left field. Honor your parent, they have no benefit. Why? Rabbi Kiva Eger says, no, think big, think, think broad. It is beneficial. It's for the psychological the well-being of the parents. It makes them feel good. It, it brings a certain nachas ruach that you're, you're listening to your parents. What would the uh, other Rishonim respond to this? Good point, I know. Now Rashi seems like he's winning. So, Rizpa, Rashba, what's going on with you? Why would you not? You don't care about the psychological well-being of the parent? You don't care if the parent's happy? So, there are a couple of responses you one can say. The, the Chaz Nish, and I didn't see this inside, my Rebbe Rabbenrush quoted this, said as follows. Yes, fundamentally, we want to make our parents happy. And in fact, in, there are scenarios where perhaps there will be no benefit to us, where we should listen and make our parents happy, However, sometimes it's just not a valid request. And what they're telling us is that if the, there, there, there's a line between listening to one's parents when there's no benefit towards them, that, you know what, it makes them happy, so we do it, versus it's just not a halachically valid request. He gives an analogy as follows. If a parent comes up to him and says, I want a gift. I want a gift. You don't have to give them a gift. He goes, even according to the pin in the Gemara, it says it's Mishal Ben, it comes from the son's account, you still do not have to give them a gift. Why? Because it's just not a halachically valid request. Your parents aren't God. They're not the king. And they're, they're still people. Yes, we have tremendous respect for them. We, we honor them and we, we love them. And we, we give them all sorts of, you know, everything. But there's a limit. And, 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 and maybe this is the line you start seeing in a healthy relationship as well. The parent comes to us with, with that raised request and you could say, there's no benefit to you, Dad. Yes, you want to have a, no, make a business deal, but like, this is my life. That's just not a halachically valid request to make. It's not a valid request, and therefore, I'm sorry it's going to make, bring you happiness. I'm sorry it's going to bring you joy. I'm sorry you can buy your Bentley now. That's just not, it's just, that's beyond what you're allowed to request of me. Which point, at which point, that's just not, that's not a halachically valid request, so it's not under the rubric of Kibbut of Um There's no question for Rashi. By the way, what I think is very interesting about this is, that I, in a way, when I walked away from this, I was thinking about this. I wonder if like, they're all in a way right. Like it's just it's just a multifaceted issue. Like you just like each element, whether you're Rashi Ritva, although they seem to argue, they're really all talking. You know, like they're they're really filling out a certain layer and depth to this issue. Yes, listen to your parents, but also there's an ex- to what extent? There are valid requests or non-valid requests. Care about the emotional well-being until when, etc. The Machna. The Mahdi says, interestingly, that you know why you listen to your parents even when there's no benefit? Because if you, if you disregard what they say, that's chutzpah. You know, your father, you know, sometimes, I don't know, it's, probably not, it's not the best chinuch to say, do it because I said so. But ultimately, when the kid, you know, from your perspective, when the, when the parent says, or the teacher says, do this, the kid says, why? And you say, because I said so, because I'm your father. Well, it's probably not necessarily the best chinuch, but ultimately, the kid shouldn't say, why? That's chutzpah. So the master says, and the parent says, do something, and you're like, why? You have no benefit. Yeah, but that's chutzpah. So that's coming, what he says, from Moras. What he's saying here is, Rekhi Baker is saying it's more of a din and kavod. You honor your parents, you care about the psychological well-being, and their happiness, etc. The master is saying, no, it's more about, it's more about their, um, their Moras. You have a certain fear, awe, and reverence to them. So I looked in the, um, the Sefer I discovered when I started this, the, um, there was the Mishnah's Kohen, 
which is like a Mishnavura halacha sefer geared towards Kibbutz of Aim. So what he says is as follows, halacha l'maysa, he goes through it, he says as follows, um, Rashi is saying, you know why you have to listen regardless, because it makes him happy, or because you don't want to be a mechutzah. Other Rishonim are saying, yeah, but there's a limit until how much. Halacha l'maysa, he says as follows, we follow the other Rishonim, that one does not necessarily have to listen to their parents. If a parent says, don't marry someone, you don't have to marry them. You're allowed to marry them. However, however, he says, there's definitely a great mile to listen to them, both as we pointed out, because your parents might know more than you and don't think you're better than them and that you're making a mistake. But also, there is an aspect of, even if maybe they shouldn't make that request of you, but there's a certain coverage to them, even if it's not a coverage request in the Torah, which brings me to the last point. The Chazanish says that, you know what, when the Rashba, remember I, I pulled out the line the Rashba, the Rashba said, it's not an essay in the Torah, it's not an essay in the Torah, says the Rashba, I'll tell you what it is. It might not be a direct command in the Torah, but there's a certain, what he calls, what he doesn't call, but Rav Asher Weiss calls, Ratzon HaTorah. That sometimes the Torah doesn't say, you have to, but the Torah desires you to do certain things. The Torah desires for certain things to be a certain way. We'll discuss this more, you know, it's a much longer topic, but I think this really brings it all together. That maybe, yes, you don't have to listen to your parents. You don't have to listen to your parents. But because the issue is so complicated, right? Because your parents might know more than you. But at the same time, they also have emotions that may push them in certain directions. But at the same time, you should also care about their emotions. But at the same time, who are they to get involved in life that doesn't benefit them? Says the Chaznish, the Torah isn't going to legislate that you have to listen to your parents in an area that's so complicated like this. But the Torah is going to say there's a certain ruts in our Torah that you should definitely pay heed to what they're saying, carefully consider it, and in the event that you're able to, that you realize and recognize it will bring them a certain nachas and comfort, and maybe they are actually right, so then it's a place where you could actually say, ruts in the Torah, I'm going to listen to them. But in an event you say, you know what? The beyond, it's just not a halakhically valid request. I have to live with her. She's going to be my wife. And therefore, I don't want to marry someone you want me to marry. I want to marry the person who I fell in love with. So then you can say, ultimately, it's not an essay, show, Torah. So that's what we have tonight. Quick, Chazara, we asked the following question. You must one listen to one's parents when there's no direct benefit involved. So we went to a Gemara that seemed to be out of left field to talk about an essay, do say discussing the complicated nature of when we say Asay, Dochalosa say, within that Gemara we pulled out, Rashi says that one has to listen to one's parents seemingly regardless of the situation. The Rift was like, what are you talking about? The only case is when the parent actually benefits. We then said, what is the svar? What is the logic behind Rashi? What is the logic? Now that we showed him, for Rashi, we had Rabbi Kiva Eger who said, to make the parent feel good, make the parent happy. It's, you care for how that you care about their emotional well-being. Whereas the other, where the Chaznis said for the other Rishonim, they're going to say no. Look, yes, we will care about our parents, but also there are certain things that are, are valid requests. There are certain things that are beyond even what's okay to ask. And then we pointed out, so we'll, you know, after some more discussion, we pointed out based on the Chaznis and the Rashba that it's such a multifaceted issue and such a complicated issue that maybe we didn't actually legislate what to do, but we gave you certain guide marks. And we said, ultimately, there's a rut in the Torah here, what you should do, or what the Torah thinks you should do, and you have to use your judgment, and use your knowledge, and use what you think is best for each and every situation. I wish you all a wonderful night.